This is the Law Podcasting Podcast, where you learn how to use modern media to get your message out and more good clients to your law practice. Here's your host, Gordon Firemark. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Law Podcasting Podcast. This is the show where I bring you information about how lawyers can use the power of podcasting to support and develop their businesses, even if they're not podcasting specifically about substantive legal topics. And in this, another solo episode of the show, I'm going to be sharing a few ways to get good quality sound for your podcast. But first, let me remind you that the Law Podcasting Podcast is brought to you by Power Podcasting for Lawyers, the only how-to podcast training course made by lawyers for lawyers and designed to show you how you can leverage the power of podcasting to help market your law practice. You can find out more about Power Podcasting for Lawyers at lawpodcasting.com. Now let's get into some of those pointers on how to get good sound quality for your show without breaking the bank and without a ton of equipment and without a lot of headaches. First off, use a checklist. Uh, I like a tool called Process Street, a tool that lets me allow, you know, set up processes and checklists and to include all kinds of things, text and video, audio, images, everything like that in this checklist that I can then work through each time. And um, uh, it's an online tool at processstreet.com. Um, the tool is great for showing your assistant or your VA or your teenager how to do some of the steps that you're going to do so you can get back to the higher level tasks uh, in your practice and your business. Um, but develop a system and follow it every time. It will simplify things immensely and it ensures that your show is consistently high quality. So you can set up a routine for yourself so that every time you record, you go through the same preparatory steps necessary to ensure that your recording comes out as clean and clear as possible. That could be, you know, things like turning off the air conditioning and moving the fans away from the microphone, setting up some, uh, well, we're going to talk about all kinds of acoustical things and things like that. So, uh, so that's that's my number one tip is have a tool that you use as a checklist or a worksheet or something that you can go through every single time and uh, that will assure some consistent quality in your show. And then, you know, if you need to tweak it and adjust it as time goes by, of course, do that. But uh, being methodical and systematic about things is the best way to be productive in anything. And in particular, getting good quality, getting a good show done every time. Um. Now, the first thing that I would say about getting good sound quality is that you want to have a good, quiet environment. Background sounds, of course, are very distracting. <clears throat> In fact, today you might actually hear a lawnmower going on across the street from, from where I'm recording. And uh, normally they aren't there at the time that I'm recording. And it just happened that uh, I had to adjust something. And, and anyway, so there's a little bit of background noise. But the rest of the house is quiet. The The office environment is quiet. I have done what I what I preach. I turned off the fans and air conditioning and the, uh, the computer fan is under my desk where you won't be able to hear it. Um, and, uh, you know, do what you can to minimize background noise. Tell your family and your colleagues that you're recording and ask them to please be quiet. And, uh, you know, if it helps put up a sign on your door or you could even have a, a really cool lighted on the air sign or something like that, uh, is something I aspire to. Uh, but you know, the point is minimize all of those background noises as much as possible. Some of the other kinds of uh, things that can cause background noise in your home are, you know, if you're recording in your kitchen, the refrigerator could be running. If you're recording in an office, you could have office equipment that's running or telephones. Be sure to turn off the ringers on your telephones. Uh, your cell phone 
should be uh, a good distance from where you're recording and if and ideally turned off or into airplane mode so it doesn't ring and disturb things while you're recording and as a fact i'm i'm uh, reaching for my cell phone right now to make sure it is turned off and it is and um and um you know, you want to eliminate all of those kinds of things. You can hear me moving around on my desk and my, my office chair is making a little bit of noise. You want to do as much as you can to just minimize the environmental noise. Another thing to think about is the acoustics of the room. That, that relates to the reflective and sound absorbent qualities of the room itself. And um, the size and shape of the room will have a lot to do with that, but also things like the uh, the surface where you're working. If the microphone is sitting on your desk, uh, it's likely that you'll get some audio re- reflection back into the microphone when the sound waves hit the desk and bounce back. So you want to make sure uh, that you do what you can to minimize that. Um, now, some reflection is good. You want a little bit of presence or reverberation in the room, but too much of a good thing, as they say. Uh, if you are recording in a corner of a room, you will get more reflection than if you're in the center of a room. Uh, but, of course, if it's a noisy room, then the center may be more... Uh, more prone to lots of reflections. So uh, the other things that you can do is put up some dampening uh, devices. You can use rugs or towels or blankets or if some people record actually in a coat closet with just a, a stand and a lamp and, and uh, their microphone. Um, there are specialized tools. You can get some uh, special foam uh, acoustical panels that you can put up in strategic places. You usually don't have to do the whole room, lining the whole room with that kind of thing, but just in a few strategic places to break up those reflections that I was talking about. But sometimes I've, I've seen people successfully use, you know, just, just, uh, artists canvases. You could even put some painting on it and, uh, and use those hang on the wall behind your microphone, behind your desk, and those kinds of things. Those are a great way to, again, break up the reflections. They don't have to be super absorbent, but um, uh, but oftentimes just the break up in the pattern so that it's not a solid wall will do something and make a difference in those reflections. Uh, you can get, as I said, squares of foam. You can use, um, I've even seen people put up egg cartons as uh, acoustical baffles, uh, you know, just stapled onto a panel of wood or something like that. I think that's a little a little low end, but, uh, you know, if it works for you, it works for you. You can get some foam or, um, you know, padding, quilting, uh, fiber and stuff like that at a fabric store, for example, and, and, uh, hang that up on the wall behind your desk. If, if you're recording at a desk, those kinds of things. But, um, you know, the point is do what you can listen to your recordings and see if you can identify, um, the, the qualities of the of the space that you're doing you're dealing with and then identify what you can do to change those things and it might take a little bit of experimentation another thing to think about is uh just embracing your room characteristics if you are recording in a noisy environment you can just say so and make it a part of your show you know there are shows that are recorded in coffee shops um and the background noise of the coffee shop is, is sort of a character in the show it may not be suitable for your particular show but it's worth uh, worth giving some consideration if you're recording in a noisy office then you can say you know hey just taking some time out today on on a busy monday to record our show and um uh, you can hear the activity in the background. Things are busy here. So let's just get to it and, you know, and go into it that way. Um, the point is that you want to be consistent about that and, and make it, like I said, a part of the, the routine that you'll have a certain level. And you, of course, you want to avoid spiking noises, you know, things being dropped or windows breaking, <laughs> uh, you know, crashes and things like that. Uh, but, uh, it's okay to embrace the characteristics of your room if that's what you need. Um, 
need to do in order to uh, to get things out and and ultimately getting a show done is more important than getting the room perfect before you start so there you go other kinds of things that you want to think about is is uh, certain kinds of interference. The fan noise that I mentioned is is a very common kind of interference. If the fan is actually blowing on the microphone, you'll hear sounds, and uh, that can be very disturbing. But uh, also just the hum of the fan in the background, the computer humming. Uh, if you're shooting, if you're recording on a laptop or something like that, make sure your microphone is pointing away from the the, the source of the noise, so that uh, hopefully it has rear rejection of sound, and uh, and you're not getting the sound of the computer, the hum of the motors, and things like that. Um, vibration is the enemy of uh, of good sound as well. As you can hear, if I bump the microphone, there's a, there's a bit of vibration sound that you can hear. And that can be very pronounced when you are using a microphone stand that is sitting directly on the table and there's no shock mount involved. A shock mount is one of these um, sort of spider-like things that surrounds the microphone and actually suspends it using elastic bands or some other kind of flexible material um, so that the microphone isn't susceptible to every little vibration that happens to the stand or the table on which it's mounted. Right now, for example, I don't believe you can hear that I am um, sitting here recording while I tap the edge of my microphone stand. So uh, something to consider there, uh, getting a, uh, a shock mount. And those can be had fairly inexpensively on Amazon.com and B&H and, and uh, uh, BSW, the sound companies. So I'll have some links in the show notes for those kinds of things. Um, and of course, a good microphone stand itself is important. And a boom stand that comes up off the table can be a big help in that. I already mentioned putting your mobile phones on airplane mode. We've heard, everybody's heard that kind of a interference that makes its way into some recordings, uh, usually because a uh, mobile phone uh, is is nearby and is either receiving or sending data at the time that the recording is being made. Now let's talk about the mic- the selection of your microphone. Now, I've already done a whole episode on selection of microphone, but let me just reiterate that I think that dynamic microphones are generally better than condenser microphones for podcasting unless you are recording in a very clean, acoustically treated studio. Uh, dynamic microphones tend to be a little less sensitive. They work much better with close-up sound. Right now my mouth is about two inches away from the front receiver of my microphone. And um, I think I'm getting pretty good sound quality. Um, you want to choose a microphone that also has a pattern that is beneficial. There are my, Lots of microphones are omnidirectional, and that means they... they pull sound from all directions around the microphone. That is not ideal, as I said, if you want to be able to reject sound that's coming from behind the microphone. You're better off looking for a microphone that has what's called a cardioid pickup pattern. Cardioid from the same Latin root as cardio and heart. And it is sort of a heart-shaped pattern, um, a rounded heart or an apple kind of a shape with the um, the sweet spot being in front of the microphone and, an, and a sort of empty spot at the back of the microphone. There's also a, a design called hypercardioid, which tends to be even more narrow in the front of the microphone. And those are good in some circumstances. These are sometimes also called shotgun microphones, although technically there's a difference between a hypercardioid and a shotgun mic. But generally, these are mics that, that really only pick up in one direction straight in front of the microphone. And if you're in a very noisy environment, that can be a very beneficial approach. 
Next up, I want to talk about the microphone placement. You want to have the microphone, as I said, pretty close to your mouth, and that allows you to keep the gain on your mixer down a little bit or the gain on your input source uh, down a little bit, and uh, that way the microphone isn't picking up lots of background noise and other things. You want to have it on a good, solid stand, preferably one with a shock mount that doesn't pick up a lot of vibration. And I recommend using a pop filter. Now, some microphones come with a built-in pop filter. I think it still makes sense to get something else in between your mouth and the microphone to deal with what what are called plosives, that uh, popping P or the air coming out of the mouth from the letter P or other other uh, plosive letters uh, is is uh, blowing hard against the microphone and and making a disturbing noise. So uh, I'm using one that actually came with my microphone's shock mount, and it is uh, uh, just a wire mesh screen that sits about an inch in front of the microphone and between my mouth and the mic. There are many different kinds of these. Many of them are sort of a black foam, uh, not foam, a mesh uh, in a in a circle that is mounted in front of the microphone. You can even make one yourself out of a out of a, a bit of pantyhose or something like that, and uh, a crochet ring or or just a piece of wire coat hanger or something like that in a pinch. Uh, but you know, you're doing whatever you can to get good sound coming into the recording is very important. And the next step in that is to take a good look at the interface, the way you're getting the sound into the recorder. That is usually through either a mixer or a digital audio interface. What I want to emphasize is the importance of the preamplifier. Microphones don't generally um, uh, have a very high level of signal and so they require a preamplifier as they go into whatever device they're going into and um, you know inexpensive mixers can often have inexpensive parts within them and the preamplifier can sometimes impart noise into the thing especially when it's turned way up as is necessary with many of the inexpensive mixers now that's not to say you shouldn't explore using a relatively low priced mixing console but you want to examine the quality of those preamps and check the reviews. Another component in the mixing process, assuming you're using a mixer, is having one that has some equalization, the EQ knobs. That's the, the high, mid, and low frequency adjustments. It's a great way to be able to notch out or carve out little areas of sound that um, that might be disturbing. If you know that you have a room that has sort of a, a generalized hiss in the room, you might be able to, you know, turn down the high frequencies just a little bit and knock some of that out so that it's not a disturbing uh, quality. Likewise, if you have a very boomy, bassy voice, you may want to roll off the low end of your of your sound a little bit to uh, neutralize things and make it a little more even. Um, and that brings us to the gain structure. As I mentioned, you want to have the volume level on the microphone as low as is reasonable to. Um, I should say the, the preamplifier as low as possible to get the levels you need. And um, uh, the reason for that is that they, they get noisier as you turn them up. So you want to keep the noise levels, the signal-to-noise ratio, as high as possible. That is, the noise levels down with the signal as high as possible um, all the way through this, the signal chain. Now, if you're using a digital audio interface, a lot of this is going to be beyond your control, and that's certainly okay. You do the best you can with what you have, and you know, set the level, the record level on whatever recording equipment you're using, whether it's software or hardware, uh, again, as low as possible to get the levels that you need. And sometimes it's better to have a little slightly low level on the recording than, uh, than to have a high level but ha- that has a lot of noise. So, next up... Um, 
whenever possible, you should use headphones when you're recording, especially when you are listening to someone else, you know, doing an interview or something like that. Whenever there's any other source of audio coming in to the the recording, you want to hear that in your ears, but you don't want your microphone to pick that up. It sounds a little echoey, a little bit uh, tinny if it if it hears it coming because you're using your computer speakers or something like that. So use headphones. I prefer to have closed back over-the-ear style headphones because I think they do a better job of reproducing sound, but also that they they pre- prevent sound from bleeding out and being picked up by my microphone. Now, a lot of people use earbuds, and that's all fine. I don't think the sound quality from earbuds is generally very good, and I also don't love having those things in my ears all the time, and if you're sitting down to a long recording, that can be troublesome. So um, my preference is closed back uh, over-the-ear style earphones, but in a pinch, you can use earbuds. In fact, I've, I've known people who use their iPhone earbuds and the iPhone microphone to record their shows, and they get quite good sound quality. So, you know, experiment a little bit. Um, you don't need to spend a lot of money on earphones, uh, but 30 or 40 or $50 for a decent pair can be um, uh, well worth the expense, uh, especially when you're doing lots of recording because you'll, you'll have them on quite a lot and you want them to be nice and comfortable. The next thing I want to talk about for sound quality is connectivity. Um, if you are using uh, some kind of internet or digital connection to connect with your other, let's say your co-host or your guests or what or whatever, you want to make sure you've got really solid connections. And for that, I always recommend using an Ethernet connection rather than uh, using Wi-Fi. And I always recommend um, having the highest bandwidth that you can afford, you know, with your internet connection so that you're, you're, preserving as much of the sound quality that's coming in on one end as it travels over the internet so that you get it to the other end. Uh, many people use Skype um, to to do their connections, and I think Skype generally has pretty good sound quality. There are some custom settings you can get into if you're so inclined. You can Google uh, best settings for Skype recordings or something like that, and you'll find uh, the, the specifics of that. Basically, what you want to do is is set up an open port on your router in your home or your or your wherever you're recording uh, that allows Skype, <clears throat> excuse me, to have a more direct connection uh, and bypasses some of that routing, and that will improve the bandwidth a little bit. You can also use Google Plus. That's a, a, a really effective uh, chat tool. You can turn off the cameras so that you save bandwidth there and use it very much like you would for Skype. I think that Google Plus is a little bit lower quality at the moment, but they have some very good um, audio processing uh, in built, you know, sort of baked in. And if you if you do it right, you can get very good sound quality using Google Plus as well. There are lots of others. You can use GoToMeeting or or um, Zoom conferencing or things like that, and you know they all work pretty well. If you are using a real telephone or a wireless a mobile telephone, um, there are ways to connect up your mobile phone. There are ways to connect up a uh, a landline telephone um, that's called a telephone bridge, and um, it's uh, you know a little bit of an expensive device. But if you're going to be doing a lot of dialing out or taking live calls on your show, it's a great way to do things. Personally, uh, when I take a live call or something, I use a Google Plus number and and uh, Google Talk and uh, leave that leave that as my source of connection. And then I have a Skype connection with my with my co-host, and it works out quite nicely. Other things to think about in getting your good sound quality is the time of day of your recording. 
Now, obviously, there are going to be some quieter times of day than others. Late in the evening is a quiet time in most households, and uh, assuming you're not in a party zone or a frat house or something like that, it's probably a good place to record and a good time to record. But you also have to consider your energy levels and fatigue at the time of your call because let's face it, when you're tired, it's going to show in your sound of your voice and, and the way you carry yourself on, on the recording. So it's a balancing act you have to do. Now I'm recording here. It is around, um, I think it's about 10 o'clock, 10, 15 in the morning, uh, on a weekday. And two of my three kids are in school and my wife has taken the other kid to the gym with her. So, uh, they are out and it's relatively quiet. I mentioned earlier, there was a lawnmower going on across the street that has now stopped. And so it is actually a fairly quiet time for us to do this. And, um, I think that's, uh, something to be considered. I generally try to record in the early part of the day, right after things have quieted down for the day. Um, other things to think about when you're recording, uh, you want to have good lighting in your space, but you don't want to have fluorescent lighting that can make noise vibrating near your microphone or near your sound equipment. Um, I tend to prefer working by daylight with uh, light coming in through the window. I do have some diffusion panels on my windows so that I'm not getting direct sunlight uh, because my office has a south-facing window and I'd get sunlight all day long. Um, but uh, that can make for not only uh, uh, very bright but also very warm. And so diffusion panels uh, keep a nice soft light. But it's very bright and that gives me um, energy that I can bring to my uh, voice, I hope, and uh, use that in my recording. Next thing to talk about with respect to sound quality may not seem obvious to you, but it's it's actually a very important one. Um, what you eat and drink can greatly affect the sound and tone of your voice and, frankly, just how things come across generally. So you want to avoid extremes of hot and cold and spicy because those things will make you either salivate or close your windpipe up or make your sinuses uh, runny or all those kinds of things that can have an impact on how you sound. You also want to avoid dairy. This is a notorious one and this one is something you've probably heard but when you consume dairy um, you'll often notice that you produce more mucus and more saliva and that can make for a very um, goopy <laughs> sounding tone of voice when you speak and you'll often have to clear your throat frequently um, and your your lips may make smacking sounds when you're talking, those kinds of things. Uh, so avoiding dairy is important. Staying well hydrated and well lubricated is also important. So I always recommend putting on some lip balm right before you record so that your lips don't stick together and make noises and also just feel dry and nasty. But also just make sure you drink lots of water. And water in particular, uh, rather than soda or coffee or tea, because those those contain caffeine and other chemicals and, and things that can also be uh, drying and can, can leave you dehydrated, actually. So lots of water, lukewarm, not too cold, um, and don't put ice in your glass. Ice will clink as you drink from it. And if you do need to take a sip while you're recording, you don't want to hear that clink, clink, clink of ice. Or you don't want, you definitely don't want to drink through a straw because you'll you, your audience will hear that as well. So uh, avoiding extremes of hot, cold, spicy, avoid dairy, stay hydrated, lubricated, and don't use ice. <laughs> okay. Next up, give yourself some warm-up. There are both physical and vocal exercises that you can do to, to get your juices flowing and get yourself moving. 
Um, vocal exercise is just like uh, repeating some tongue twisters or mommy, me, moo, moo, mommy, me, moo, moo, and, and practicing, um, uh, word combinations that you sometimes trip over is a great way to get your, your tongue and your lips and your mouth in, in shape for the recording. And, uh, it, I, it's, it's just very important to sort of be in talking mode and not be the first thing you've said for the day <laughs> when you sit down with the microphone to record. Uh, my co-host in Dallas, uh, Tamara Bennett on my entertainment law update podcast, she actually does a handful of jumping jacks right before we start to record to again, get her juices flowing and her blood moving and, uh, and, and her, uh, herself in the right mode. It gets her some energy. I know people do push-ups, do anything. I mean, you can also do yoga a little bit right before you start to record in order to get your muscles in the right mode and, and get the energy thing happening. And finally, when you're recording, smile. The, it will come through in the tone of your voice. Um, most good uh, recording artists smile when they sing or speak into the microphone, unless they're, of course, acting, in which case a frown may be the more appropriate tone of voice. But um, smiling and uh, voice artists use this technique a lot. Even when they're in a bad mood, you know, you put that smile on your face and it, it brings you up a little bit and helps you perform at a, at a better level. So when recording your show, try to smile into the microphone. And, uh, and that's that. So that's it for the recording process. Once you are done recording, I recommend that you encode your recording without any compression. That is, if you're recording in a digital device, set it on wave or AIFF uh, format and not MP3 because MP3 compresses. And what that does is it basically discards certain stuff on the edges of the periphery of the sound. And that can be, um, uh, degrading in the sound quality. Now you're going to end up compressing it eventually, but before you edit, I would recommend no compression. Then run your recording through your editing, of course, and, and edit what needs to come out. But I don't think you want to edit too much. Don't try to take out every um or ah or, or, uh, you know, every cough and those kinds of things. Be natural, be, be authentic as much as possible. We don't need to go for that overly produced radio effect. And in fact, even in radio, you, you sometimes hear ums and ahs, uh, in that. And then run your recording through an audio sweetening tool to clean up any any vestiges of background noise or uh, uneven levels and things like that. And the two sweetening tools that I like to think about are Levelator, which is an older thing that's just a little app that sits on your computer and you drag and drop the audio file onto it and it processes it for a few minutes and then spits out a... Uh, a, a more clean, more more uh, polished sounding recording. Um, and that's, like I said, it's a little old school. I believe that they've actually discontinued development on that software, but uh, it's still available out there. If you look for The Levelator in Google, you can find it. Uh, the other one that I like is Auphonic, and this is an online service at auphonic.com. That's A-U-P-H-O-N-I-C.com. Uh, which allows you to upload your file and sweeten it and process it. And it will even um, uh, take the, the file and turn it into an MP3 and add the graphics and do all of the, the backend uh, metadata information all in sort of one pass. And then it will drop it into your, your uh, media hosting uh, account if you'd like it to do that. And so I actually have a very streamlined process where once I've finished recording and editing, if I do any editing, uh, I upload it to Alphonic. Actually, I use Dropbox to do that. Alphonic grabs the file from Dropbox and uh, processes it according to a recipe that I've preset and then drops it into my um, my uh, uh, media hosting 
file uh, storage place. And from there, I'm able to create the blog post and publish the episode very, very quickly and conveniently. And um, but the, my favorite thing about Alphonic is that how well it does uh, leveling and cleaning up the the dirt and the noise in the in the recording. Um, finally, when you do output the file, I recommend encoding the the compressed file at the lowest bit rate that's suitable for your content. If it is just spoken word like this, mono is okay. It doesn't need to be a stereo file. Stereo is double the size of a mono roll file. And the higher the bit rate, the larger the data file will be as well. So you can, uh, for spoken word, you can go down to, um, you know, 128 uh, bits per second. And if you go to mono, that would be um, about 64 bits per second. And that's actually a, a very good sounding recording still, but it's very low uh, low overhead. And therefore, the, the, down, the files download quickly and, um, and the... Uh, uh, players can can use it very easily and uh finally use quality encoding tools i've already mentioned Auphonic, which i think does a very nice job there's a an encoder out there called lame it stands for it doesn't stand for lame but it it's not regarded as the best but it's open source and it's free and you can use that if you use audacity to to do your uh, editing you can add a lame plugin to it um and uh uh, and and output into MP3 very easily. I think that it's not the best. the The favorite uh, algorithm or encoding tool is called the Fraunhofer F R A U N H O F E R algorithm, and it is something that is a, a part of some higher end editing software. And you can also use the iTunes. Uh, software to take a wave file, for example, and convert it into an MP3. And that works quite nicely as well. Uh, there are other tools out there. Um, Adapter is one on the Mac that I know about. And there are other, um, way, you know, MP3 conversion and compression tools. Uh, experiment with them a little bit, see what sounds good. Uh, ultimately, I think I'm going to stick with Auphonic for its ease of use as much as its quality of, of uh, workmanship. So final thoughts. I think perfection is the enemy of productivity. So if you are making um, uh, efforts to get good quality, settle for very good. That is good enough unless you are doing a show that's directed at audiophiles, in which case you're going to want to have a full-on recording studio and you're going to use higher-end you know, uh, condenser mics and things like that. Get the best sound you can reasonably without going to a lot of expense and effort because what's more important is that you – you get started and you make these recordings and you continue to make them and that does that the work of getting set up doesn't overwhelm you and deter you from making recordings get started and then improve things incrementally figure out what's uh what's a little off in your recording and try to address it the next time around and over time as i said you'll get that checklist you'll get that system honed to a sharp edge and you'll have a very streamlined process that will get you consistent, good quality sound each and every time that you record. After all, getting started, don't wait until everything is just right. This is about your content, after all. As long as it sounds pretty good, folks will enjoy it. What you want to avoid is echoey, recording into the computer microphone, low-grade sound that is disturbing and distracting from the message that you're conveying. Beyond that, a little noise, a little little echo, those kinds of things isn't going to kill you. And, um, again, work toward it and, and work toward improving a little bit each time. And pretty soon you'll have very, very good sound quality.
And so with that, I will say thank you for listening and subscribing to the show in iTunes or Stitcher or whatever um, uh, blog, uh, excuse me, uh, podcatcher you use. And, uh, and also, if you would take a moment to send us your comments and suggestions on the web over at lawpodcaster.com. Uh, this is episode number 40. Wow, 40 episodes. And if you wouldn't mind giving us a review in the iTunes store or wherever else you can review our show, we always appreciate your feedback and your comments. And that about wraps it up for this episode of the Law Podcasting Podcast. The Law Podcasting Podcast is brought to you by Power Podcasting for Lawyers, the only how-to course on podcasting created for lawyers by lawyers at lawpodcasting.com. If you've been thinking about launching your law podcast, you'll want to sign up now because the price of the course is going up in December and then it's going to go up to its full price again starting in January, on January 1st. So there's no time like the present. Sign up while it's still discounted. Sign up at lawpodcasting.com. And until next time, keep on podcasting. 